Welcome to the Purple Path with a Yell, a podcast where we explore what it means to live a life in pursuit of radical authenticity. Through conversations with creatives and intuitives from all walks of life, this is a space for vulnerability and curiosity where we delve deeper into our own healing whilst taking comfort and inspiration from the many different and uniquely incredible life paths that are out there. Today's conversation was a beautiful reminder that inspiration and creative downloads can come in the most unlikely forms, and that creativity goes wherever you go. It has no borders, physical or imagined. We talked about astral projection, lucid dreaming, Naji's move from the States to South Korea, cultivating more artistically divergent spaces that stand apart from the norm, and so much more. So let me just tell you a little bit more about today's guest. Naji is a 29-year-old music artist who began his musical journey as a drummer before a transformative moment in 2015 redirected his path. Inspired by a vivid dream featuring a potato, he embraced a new direction as a solo vocalist and producer. His debut single, Baked Potatoes, unexpectedly received high praise, marking the onset of a more contemplative and mature face in his songwriting and singing career. In 2016, Naji collaborated with producer Glass Tempo on the emotionally evocative single Fallen. This release caught the attention of major platforms and labels such as Majestic Casual, Selection, Lyrical Lemonade, and Pigeons and Planes. This recognition firmly positioned Naji as a prominent figure in the realm of indie R&B. Boasting a portfolio of over 200 collaborative projects, including the renowned track Mona Lisa, produced alongside Grammy-nominated artist Monte Booker, Naji's impact expanded further with the launch of his debut album, Misfit. Notably, he introduced a live drum sample pack entitled Mr. Drummer Boy, acclaimed and utilized by industry luminaries such as Giveon, Labyrinth, J.I.D., Kenny Beats, D-Mile, Dean, and many, many more. So before we get into the conversation today, a quick mention for the Patreon community. For this week's Patreon bonus, I've recorded a bonus podcast episode on borderless creativity and my own journey of traveling full-time whilst working as an artist and songwriter. This bonus episode will be open to subscribers of the Purple Path Patreon at the $3 level. You can find it over at patreon.com slash thepurplepath. And there will also be a link to it in the show notes. This Patreon helps me keep the podcast completely ad-free and also to be able to keep investing more time in it. I am so, so grateful for those of you who decide to support or who are already supporting. Thank you. Another way that you can support is also by leaving a review on iTunes or by hitting the five-star rating on Spotify. That would really mean the world to me and also help this little podcast to keep growing and finding the people who need it the most. Now, without further ado, let's get into episode 12 of The Purple Path with Naji. Hi, Naji, and welcome to The Purple Path. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I'm a huge fan of your music, obviously, but also Likewise. of you as a human being. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We've had well, not many a conversation, but enough to, for me to know that I, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you and I collaborated on one of my songs, uh, Worst Way, back in 2019, but we actually met for the first time ever in person last year in May in yeah. Seoul, South Korea, where you now live. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was also kind of the first time we've had a proper conversation. So I'm really excited that I get to pick your brain some more now. But to start off, I'd love it if you could just tell everyone listening a little bit about you and your journey in life so far. Sure. So my name is Naji. I'm a music artist, musician, uh, engineer. Well, I guess it's more specifically music engineer because you know, that is another job profession. But, uh, you know, I've been in music uh, pretty much all my life, but I started making it officially as Naji back in like 2015 uh, and kind of took through uh, the, the SoundCloud route and, you know, uploaded some music, saw what happened. I made a song about a potato and it took <laughs> off from there. So, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's pretty much the the, I, the, the the very, very short of it is, you know, did that, tried it, and people liked it. So I, I kind of kept going with it. Um, but before that point, as I said, I'm a musician first. So I have been obsessed with music since I can really remember. Um, and it's just, it's not even so much obsessed, it's just been a, a very innate part of my life because my whole family, like but my mom's side, dad's side, everybody is, is musically inclined or doing something in music. So it just, it seemed like a natural next step for myself, uh, you know, growing up around it and just being in it and having it be a natural outlet. So, uh, yeah, you know, since I've, I've since I can remember being cognizant, <laughs> you know, maybe I was two years old my dad gave me like a shaker and he was just like, you know, like, just keep time, just keep, you know, Go to go to practice sessions with him. So it, it's it's always been something, especially in particular percussion and drumming, um, has always been something part of my my arsenal, so to speak. So started as that, um, and kind of worked my way into the other facets of making music and being a musician. Later in 2015, when I started as Naji, um, but yeah, and in that time, I've you know made my own business. I've gotten married. I've moved to Seoul. I, there's there's a, a list. Of, of changes but yeah yeah that is the general general gist of everything also for reference i am 29 now so it's not like i'm <laughs> you know so i'm, I'm Very not, not so long but yeah oh my gosh i i want to circle back to the potato that is fascinating <laughs> to me <laughs> can you tell me more about this i feel like i have to go back and is the song still up Absolutely. You could, you could search wow. it right now. It okay. is it is yeah. forever. So, <laughs> so back in 2014, uh, roughly, yeah, like 2014, um, I was I just left college, dropped out. And I was like, nah, this is not going to make sense. I was going to Penn State uh, and then I was going to transfer to Berkeley School of Music, got a scholarship, partial scholarship um, in the financial aid. But I was just like, at the end of the day, I'm still going to owe like 200K to just go and play in bars at, you know, at minimum. That's not, that doesn't seem like a very smart financial decision. So I'm like, let me just, let me just start it. Let's just go into it and see what happens. Um, so I was still living my, with my mom at the time. Um, and this was in Erie, Pennsylvania. It was, it was pretty much my hometown at this point. But uh, at that time I was, I was back at my mom's and I'm just in the basement, just creating whatever, whatever made sense. And uh, at the, I, I had this this dream just randomly about living in this really swanky L.A. house. And, and like I'm, I'm like just beautiful scenery and it's gorgeous. It's great. Uh, but all of a sudden, Miranda Cosgrove comes around the corner. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Miranda Cosgrove, <laughs> but, uh, but iCarly, you know, comes around the corner. And she's like, hey, you, you want to have a potato? <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, I, sure. <laughs> so, so 
I wake up from that and I have this entire idea for a song, which is essentially an ode to baked potatoes. Uh, <sighs> and this, and then my, right prior to this point, I am just doing drumming. And, you know, I, I'd started dabbling in like kind of production stuff. Uh, but for the most part, I was just a drummer. Like that was, that was going to be, that was my thing. And then, uh, as I was doing production stuff under a different name at this, at this point, I, I highly regret the name. It's not that it was bad. It's just like, it's so cheesy, but you gotta go with that. But at the time I was called, uh, Amex, right. Ahead of my years experience. <laughs> that was, my, that was my producer name. Um, so as I was making that project, I was working with another local artist out of Erie. His name's Eli. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, you know, we went to high school together, uh, and he's always been in, in music as a musician, but also as a rapper. So I was helping him produce a track for his project. Uh, and at the time he was like, ah, oh, this needs some like, needs some like, I don't know, some, some weird vocals just, I mean, you know, I, I really, I'm like, I'm not going to sing mom and dad are singers. I'm cool off that. I don't want the scrutiny. I don't want the pressure. I'm I'm cool with my drums. But he's like, nah, just like, just hit it. Just like, you could probably do it soon. And I did it. And he's like, hey, bro, you got to try this. <laughs> so from that point, as I was making that, like in the midst of that uh, project creation and that production, I'd had that dream. So then I'd woken up and I was like, well, let me just, let me just see. And then I wrote, this is the first time I'd ever written a song. This is the first time I'd ever produced a full song. It's the first time I'd ever like drummed or did anything and released anything as Naj, like as an artist. But I was just like, this is going to be weird, but this is this is the song. This is, I'm going to write a love song about a potato. And uh, I did. And I dropped it. And it was the most baffling thing because, you know, so I dropped it on SoundCloud. It was pretty much peak SoundCloud era. Um, and at the time, you know, I, I knew nobody on online. I was just like, I just want to start. I just want to, like, that was, that was my... That was my mantra for that year. I was just like, I, I'm leaving college, like a, a very predetermined uh, track, if you will. So I need to just do things. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do, I'm just going to make stuff. I'm just going to, first I need to make a project. I need to know how to understand that. So made a small EP. All right, here's the next one for, as a producer, like not as a singer or anything. I was just like, let me just produce something. All right, cool. Let me do that. All right, now let me just make a song. And so, you know, I was I was okay with the concept of making my my full debut with something as essentially like a troll song, because for me it was it was experience and it was it was knowledge into how to make and how to structure a song and just what where what kind of headspace that was in and how to use my voice because I'd never sung prior to that point. But you know, in doing so, I I made a weird song, and people really liked it for some reason. <laughs> I was like, oh okay, and. Because of that song, it created this snowball effect uh, of me getting involved with various online collectives, um, and you know, and then you know, YouTube music channels, which were really popular at the time, uh, you know, and then getting into re in real life collectives, you know. So it, it started from baked potatoes into this collective, uh, which is now defunct, but at the time uh, was home to you know uh, friends like you know, J Rob and the Count and Josh Pan and like all these bigger names and it's like. We're all just, you know, SoundCloud, internet, high school buddies, you know. And this that collective came from me, you know, just putting up the song. They're like, hey, this is dope. I don't know why, but this is dope. So <laughs> kept doing that. Um, and then it got me in touch with a bunch of other collectives, you know. And everybody at that point in time was probably a part of like five or six collectives all globally. But it, but it worked because everybody was really supporting each other. So through that song, I'd gotten in touch with another collective. Or rather, that collective got in touch with me. Uh, the, the head of it, his name is Henry, out of Australia. 
Uh, and he was like, I have this producer that I want to connect with. His name's Howell. And so Howell and I got to know each other a bit. And he was just, I was like, oh, I like this guy. He's got good energy. Uh, and essentially, like, over the span of a year, we ended up making my next song. Well, actually, it wasn't my next. Technically, I think my next was actually another song before that point uh, called Patience with a few friends of mine that I get I met online. Uh, and you know, I was like, okay, cool. That one's out. Let me do the next one. Uh, and that one was like the first one that was, I was collaborating with a really global artist. Like I've never worked with anybody from Australia before. Like I've done remote stuff, but like not literally across the globe, like 12, 14, 16 hour times. I was like, well, this is crazy. So did that. And then again, over the span of a year, we kind of started, we built that out. So it dropped, I think like January, 2016 or something like that. Um, and as soon as it dropped, uh, the one of the more popular YouTube channels at the time, Majestic Casual, was like, "We want this. Can we drop this?" And we're like, "Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Please do that." Uh, and you know, and it just they, like I said, it just snowballed from that point, pretty much. Like that's it, and it's crazy that it all started from a potato. Like for me, I always yeah. go back. Like I always remember that. I'm like, it's because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's beautiful. <laughs> All Thank from you. a from potato that came to you in a dream. That's so um, really. That's so deep, <laughs> <laughs> and so random, and so beautiful. Do you yes. still get inspiration from your dreams? Absolutely. I, you know, they they have a little more detail and complexity to them nowadays. But <laughs> you know, I I genuinely I had a dream like two or three maybe, maybe four days ago where I was like I woke up. It was like 5, 6 a.m. And I was like, I, I have to write this down. This may be like the next amazing series film, like like high key. I was like, I've, ne like, I've never had that many, those, that many uh, details kind of just stay stored in my head because they were so specific. And it was such a weird, just amazing spiritual concept. I was like, oh my God, I, I need to write this down. So I just spent two hours just writing that down. And then I just passed out again. And then I had more dreams, you know? So I listen to my dreams all the time. They tell me so many things. And some of them are, are your more, more practical. And some of them are very, very, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like uh, abstract, but regardless, they serve their purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting to me because we all get our inspiration from different sources, right? Or we have, all have like different ways to tap into source that works better for um, for each individual person. And um, for me, I've always been, I've, I've always yearned to have those kind of dreams, right? That are like really deep and meaningful. But uh, most of the time, they're just so <laughs> mundane <laughs> that it, it's very rarely been the case that like, you know, something has come through to me in a dream that I've then been able to use. But I, I often think about like, if I were to maybe get a journal and really, you know, start to pay more attention, maybe I could just invite a little bit more of divine inspiration through my dreams. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, uh, it would be interesting to, to see if it's something that, you know, just comes naturally, or if it's something that you can work with. Do you feel like it's something that, you know, just as always, it's always been that way or have you had to kind of really pay attention to it, embrace it, have a journal, um, to make it more of a practice or is it just something that, um, yeah, you like ever since you were a kid, you've just had these like amazing dreams and, and you just started writing them down at some point. I, I think it's a little mix of both. Like when I was younger, like, like 
four or five-ish, I can distinctly remember having what felt like astral projection experiences in particular spaces. Like, so it wasn't like everywhere. And, 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 and I weirdly could tell the distinction between like a normal, quote unquote, normal dream and something where I, I felt like I was literally floating out of my body, you know, and, and returning to my body. Cause it wasn't like, I just woke up. Like I literally would, you know, be in my grandmother's old house. So mind you, my grandmother is now passed, but back in whenever I was four, 98, <laughs> you know, I used to live in New York city, uh, with my dad and it was, it was even smack dab in the middle of Brooklyn. But the designer of, at the time, the, the designer of the house that they were staying in had made like five really unique houses. And we were staying in the designer's house or like we bought the designer's house himself and they bought it back way back in like the seventies. So they bought it for like 70K, but you know, it's, it, time went on, New York, New York's, and you know, so it's essentially all the other houses got torn down, but this one stayed, it was, it was huge. It's like, it was a double, it was a two family house, you know, like four story, like it's huge, huge, huge. And every single generation was within this house. So my grandmother, my aunts, my dad, myself, my cousins, like, so like it was a very multi-generational house. And in that, you know, I had a plethora of experiences, but, you know, mostly revolving around music and things like that. But the, one of the things that I distinctly remember being in that house and because it was so multi-generational is that I would have these connections or, or moments where I could sense something or another energy, whether it was past or present. And, you know, and some of my relatives, older relatives would be like, oh, those, those are just the jumbies. You know, I'm like, what's a jumbie? And like, so <laughs> they're coming from Guyana, you know, which is like West Indies and like jumbies are, are essentially spirits or like ghosts. And like, oh, this is just the jumbies, baby. Like, don't, don't worry about it. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You know, so, you know, so I would go in the basement and, you know, I, I'd be in like super dark spaces and it wasn't weird. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is a dark space. And I would feel things or I, I'd sense things and then I would go to sleep and, you know, I, I would have dreams where I, you know, have normal, weird, nonsensical dreams. But then I would have other dreams where I distinctly remember being in, now knowing that it's like kind of like an astral projection preparational position, like being on your back, flat on your back and kind of like arms to the side is a very, like, it's a very uh preparational position for that kind of thing like it's a lot more difficult to do astral projection from other positions not that you can't but it's it's more like when when people tell you to try to get into it the first thing they say is like lay on your back so that kind of thing so i would like lift out of like i could literally see myself lifting out of my body and i would look at myself on the bed and then i would just start like floating around the house and like obviously i'd be able to identify all the things that i could normally see Right. Like on my, you know, I'm four at this point. So I, you know, everything is relatively ground level. But, you know, when I'm flying around the house and I'm looking at things from an entirely new perspective, I'm like, wow, I've never seen like the top of the fridge or anything like that. Or, you know, like just details <laughs> about the house that I would not normally have access to. Wow. And then later, years later, when I go back and I could verify those things, I was literally tall enough to see them. I was like, hmm, I wonder what that was. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, it's just, just interesting. You know, so I would go travel throughout my house, travel to weird spaces, and then, you know, have an adventure and then float back into my body and, and wake up. And it would be like maybe 4 or 5 a.m. But that was a normal occurrence for me from a young age. And so I, I've always had a fascination with dreams and different dimensional spaces or, or energies and spirits and, and sensing things from a young age. So I've always been very perceptive and very open to those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, like everybody senses and perceives in different levels and different ways. 
So for me, sometimes it was just uh, audio or like audible. And sometimes it was like a literal apparition or things of that nature. Uh, and, you know, but I always like I was there was there's a little bit like a, a tiny sense of fear in like the unknown of it. But at the same time, I wasn't like, oh, God, I got to run away. It was just like, well, this is new. Like imagine just having like, I guess, like a, a, a small get together. And there's just like five random people that you've never met in your house. Like, you're not mm. going to run. You're just like, <laughs> okay, y'all are new. Like, <laughs> I guess I get, all right, nice to meet you. You know, so that, that kind of, that level of fear was present, but that level of, of curiosity was also present. It was like, oh, like, who are you? Like, who, who is in this space with me? You know, so from that and, and being connected to my dreams so often, I'd always been really, really, really receptive to whatever kind of came through to me, whether via a dream or via some other kind of energy. And then later in life, like as I'd had more experiences that like nobody else would have or somebody else would coincide with in a different facet, uh, you know, it was just like, oh, like, okay, I guess I am pretty sensitive to these things. But it, I never like really brought attention to it or brought unwanted attention to myself because, you know, I've, I've never wanted to be like, come, come, like, come find me. Like, nah, nah, nah. I don't invite things <laughs> that I, I am not familiar with. I'm just very open to meeting new things, but I'm not like, yeah, want it like, you know, to pull up. I don't, no, no, no. So, you know, so in later years, it became more for me, you know, knowing that I, I'd had these experiences and I'd had very, very, uh, yeah, what's called, uh, what is it called? It's, it's lucid, you know, very lucid mm. dreams. Um, I'd, I'd wanted to figure out how I could kind of make, make myself more aware of the space that I was in when I was dreaming at the time without like waking myself up because I'd be like, wow, this is amazing. And I know what I can control and I know what I can do. And I know like how to trigger myself into a fear space or trigger myself into a happy space in these spaces. But at the same time, I'm like not cognizant. So I'm like, I want to be more cognizant while I'm asleep, like in these dreams. So at that point, when I was looking into lucid dreaming, this is like when I was like nine, 10, 11-ish, I was like, okay, cool. Let me, let me start writing these things down. That's what everybody recommended. It's like, get a journal, start, start, writing down what you hear, what you see, what you know, just every detail you possibly can. And it's not that it's been like a consistent uh, habit since that point. Like I've gone on and off years, like like seven, eight years, like not writing anything. But it's always been something that I'm very comfortable with because I I'd initially started doing that. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess <laughs> let me just write this down. I guess instead of trying to remember everything, let me actually write it down. So I have like books of journals from way back when uh, that, you know, I was just like, this is a really interesting dream. And I have, you know, some of them were, as you said, mundane, but some of them were really, really complex and kind of interconnected. And some of them were recurring even, you know, so I would have like, uh, you know, and my, my mother is Buddhist, my dad's Christian. So I, you know, it's kind of a, at a spectrum of, of spiritual references to kind of come from, but in the case of me living with my mom most of the time, uh, and for reference, my mom and dad were never together. <laughs> I was like, accidental baby here. So <laughs> just for that context, um, you know, so when I was living with my mom, I had a lot of that, uh, the Buddhist references and, and, the, and the gods that were referred to in that religion, you know, at, at my, just, just subconsciously entering my, my, my pathways and my, my earways and, and just kind of coming into my, my space. So whenever I would be with my mom, I would have more dreams that, that, had that kind of imagery or those kinds of uh, those kinds of energies, I guess. And you know, at certain points, I, I'd had very, very, very specific, very targeted things. Like 
I don't know if you like if, if any uh, family member of, of of yours. I know your family member has recently passed, but like in, in in a general sense, if a family member has passed, typically you, you'll see in like popular media that that member comes to visit them in a dream or something of that nature, where you'll have somebody familiar come to visit you, visit you in that context where it's not so jarring and and you're also more you know receptive to that thing. And so I'd have a lot of those dreams where I'd had familiar energies, even though if I didn't know the name or or who were they were, like what they were, I, they felt very familiar. Like it was either myself or another version of myself or a dear friend in that regard. Like I'd have those energies and those dreams kind of recurring throughout my throughout my childhood. And it was really interesting, you know. So I'd ended up like I have, I know for a fact that I'm gonna name my kids, or at least my my daughter. Her middle name is going to be Rouge, based off of this uh, recurring visitor that I'd had in my dreams that never told me her name, but literally just like that, that name came out. Like they, they kind of just sensed that name coming from that space. Ruth actually was the original name. Um, and, you know, just kind of, but when Ruth would come to visit, it would be, you know, she would wear a particular vest and a particular, like she'd wear a red puffy jacket vest and like, uh, blue jean capris and, and some Skechers sneakers, really, really random. But she was, <laughs> it was a blonde haired, blonde haired, maybe, maybe 20, 30 year old woman. And, you know, at this time, you know, I'm like nine. So it's not like I'm like, uh, I, I don't know where that's coming from. <laughs> I, I just, you could call it puberty, but like at that time, I didn't even know what that was. I was just like, who is this person? And anyway, and, and it was never like anything weird in that regard. It was just like, Oh, like, I know you. Like, hi. Like, nice to meet you again. Nice to see you again. And I never knew what that connection was, but it always, it was always present. So I'd, I'd wake up and I'm like, Ruth came to visit me again. Like, like internally, I didn't like voice this, but I just knew I was like, oh, that was Ruth. That was what. And I'd have other times where I'd have like apparent uh, Buddhist deities or like gods come and visit and, and give me blessings. Cause I would explain, you know, what happened in the dream to my mom. And I'm like, oh yeah, we were sitting in this room. And, you know, the X, Y, Z happened and, you know, she gave me this gift and, you know, mind you, I'd never, I didn't, hadn't heard all of these details in what my mom was saying. I just knew that she was Buddhist. Like, I, you know, you know, somebody's Christian, but that doesn't mean you read the Bible or, you know, every detail of it. So for me, it was just like, oh yeah, I, I was sitting here and we were in this room and this was the setting and, 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 and she gave me this gift and this is what it looked like. And these were the colors. And my mom was like, who? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, that's incredible. You're a very lucky dude. Like, you know, wow. but for me, I was just like, oh, oh, oh yeah, I guess so. You know? <laughs> so yeah, dreams for me have always been, and writing them down and, and being in that space and kind of making a, a ritual out of it and remembering them has always been kind of a natural thing for me, but it's not necessarily been so regimented and it hasn't had to be formed for it to feel as innate and as connected as it does to me. It, it's a very natural thing. And, and writing it down has always been sort of an extension of, of just processing it for me. Uh, that's incredible. And I know you mentioned that, you know, you would talk to your mom about some of these dreams, but did you feel like you had a framework or a sense of support, like with these experiences as a child um, in your family in general, or, you know, even in terms of the society that you grew up in, like, what mm. was it like? Um, because I know that the way I grew up, <laughs> if I had been having these experiences, I mean, I think my mom would have definitely um, been supportive and, and given me sort of a framework for, for what was happening. Mm. But um, yeah, I can just imagine that 
it would have been difficult to kind of make sense of it, considering mm-hmm. what kind of the society around me was saying about um, these kind of experiences or not saying about these kind of experiences. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. So for me, I, my mom, I, I, I think she did a really good job of keeping my mind open and and exposing me to to concepts and and materials that would allow me to be, you know, have more of an expansive reference or a Rolodex of things to think about. So she was always in that regard, uh, you know, very open in being like, oh yeah, that was probably this, or it could be this, you know, like ne- not necessarily like it's Jesus or is this, you know, <laughs> this is Buddha, you know, just, just like, it could be this, could be this, I don't know, you know, like you keep digging into it, you figure it out. So I, I'd always appreciated that, um, that she gave me that space to, to kind of ponder, you know what I mean? That, and it also helped that I was homeschooled for a lot of, uh, like all of middle school and like two years of, uh, of high school as well. So like I had a lot of time to think about things and just be with myself and kind of develop a sense of self. And of course, <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody thinks that homeschooling kids like, and grant you, they can be very isolated, but in my case, I was not, you know, there's, there it was a very large community of homeschooled kids and regular non-homeschooled kids in Pennsylvania. It's not like I grew up in like a bunker, you know, it's, you know, so I'd always had a lot of various environments around me. And knowing that my mom and my dad, you know, kind of were relatively hands-off and not so much like you need to think this and more like you have a lot of things <laughs> that you have to process. <laughs> so just process them, you know, and gave me a lot of space to process those. So yeah, you know, it was a very supportive environment in regards to spirituality, in regards to, you know, like identifying what these things could be or could not be, right? If Even if I'm like psyching myself out or, or not, I don't know. But it was never like, it, you know, shut that down. Don't talk about it. It was just like, huh, okay. Well, that's nice, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I also wanted to talk to you about, uh, so you recently started this 24-7 hour radio called Serene Radio. Mm -hmm. And it is so gorgeous and soothing and exactly, you know, the kind of nervous system regulation that at least I've been craving. And uh, it's fascinating to hear about your background and kind of you know, because when you uh, when you first released it, I was I was a bit surprised. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I I wasn't expecting you to you know to release something like that, but just mm. really pleasantly surprised because you don't really see a lot of people in our industry. I think kind of prioritizing that aspect of things. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you uh, when you posted about it, you said you know you can listen to it whilst you're meditating or you know like reading or doing your work or whatever it is, but it's this beautiful compilation of like instrumentals and like soothing like melodies, but it still has this influence of like Neo soul and um, Hmm. various influences really that, you know, makes it really unique, I think at least. And so I'd love to hear, you know, how, how that came about for you and um, yeah, what that experience has been like putting that together as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, for me, it's, I've always been kind of like you, you've you've seen like the lo-fi and chill, like it beats the study to sleep, beats the sleep to kind of thing. Mm. Um, I've always kind of been, you know, adjacent or just honorary members of all those circles. So I have a bunch of friends who are doing that and have been doing that for years. And for me, it was like the the one, I guess the one uh, detractor from that whole environment is that nothing. Anytime somebody was just listening to that coming as a new listener or even as a, an experienced listener. There was no 
memory or or meaning attached to the sounds coming out. It was just, you know, oh, these are cool sounds. You know what I mean? Like they, nobody would look up who these artists are. Granted, you know, they might be getting millions of plays on Spotify and things like that. But as an artist, like they get little to no recognition or have little to no following because nobody actually cared about who the artist was or, you know, why they were making these things. It's just like, I just beast asleep too. I'm just gonna, <laughs> you know, they're nice, you know. So for me, it was it was really important to I, I've always kind of wanted to marry those two worlds where you could have those chill down tempo moments, but I still wanted to be able to have it connect to an overarching brand and for myself or connect to my overarching style, you know, or at least another branch of that style. You know, it's not necessarily that I'm all down tempo, quite the opposite, but, <laughs> you know, just being able to extend a, you know, an olive branch in that space, be like, oh, I can also do this or I can also curate these things, you know, with my mind and my influence in mind, you know, so that's pretty much where it stemmed from for me is like, I'd always enjoyed that, but I wanted a means of making it less passive, not so active that it distracts you, but just less passively consumed. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a very, it's a very intentful listen. At, at least that, that was my goal. I wanted it to be very intentful doing it while doing X, Y, Z, not just ignoring it. Like it's there for a purpose, you know? And giving it a purpose and giving it space and giving people the opportunity to pause and say, hey, you know, who is this? What is this? I appreciate this. You know, so that, that's pretty much where it stems from for me. It's just like I'd always enjoyed those things and I wanted to incorporate the best of both worlds a little bit. Um, and then just making it make sense. But also at the same time, just uh, logistically and algorithmically, you know, it's 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 beneficial to have your your channels, at least on the YouTube side, constantly running, you know, a 24-hour stream. They, they prioritize it. That <laughs> does not help any, or hurt anything. Um, but for me now it is because I actually, I've, I had to put it on pause, at least the live stream portion. I still intend to like upload mm -hmm. pre-recorded videos, but I put the live stream portion on pause because ultimately one, it costs money to run those things monthly. Um, but two, for me, it was like, I could more effectively serve the, the audience that I'm looking for more immediately, uh, by being able to, you know, more consistently update various kinds of mixes or, or, you know, like tweaked mixes for somebody. So if somebody's like, oh, I want more of this or I want more of this. And, you know, maybe the only one person or two people think that I still want to include them and I still want to incorporate them because it is an intentful listen, you know, and being able to do those things. Granted, I could change anything on the stream on the fly, but now when they want to go back and find that, or if they want to go find their favorite moment, it's a lot harder to do that if it's constantly running and they have no reference for where or when that change happened. So for me, it was like, okay, Maybe I can, I'm going to go into the pre-recorded space a bit more and, and you know, do my, you know, maybe monthly mixes or something to that effect where there's still going to be, you know, four or five hour, 10 hour videos, but at least you can sit there and, and ingest that for a moment. And essentially kind of like being a playlister, like a, a curator, but of not just, not just to say, Hey, just accrue some streams. Like, no, just to be in a space, enjoy the space. It's, I kind of think of it like, you know, the, how we, how we consume music directly correlates to how much we can actually enjoy our, it and our life and, and the things around it. So like, I think back to vinyl and how people like the ritual behind vinyl was more, more pleasing and more generally satisfying than the actual sonic qualities of vinyl. Yes. Vinyl is phenomenal, but like literally sonically there are, are higher fidelity you know, uh, formats available. There's digital, there's, there's, you know, CDs, there's so many things that could make it quote unquote sound better. But the reason why it sounds and feels so good is because one, 
there's a human element to it. There's an imperfection to it. And we always kind of veer towards imperfections. That's why we love film. That's why we love nostalgia. That's why we love those things that make it feel human. But the other thing is, is the ritual of it. It's I get to sit down and be conscious in this space, put the needle on the record slowly and intentionally sit in this chair and just be in this space for a moment. It's a sense of meditation. Just putting on a vinyl is an act of kindness to yourself and the people around you. You know what I mean? And, and that, I want to keep, I want to, I want to embody that in, in the things that I do. And I want to embody that in the experiences that I give and in the projects that I work on. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me. It's just finding ways to do that. Yeah. Incorporate that. I love that. And I, I think it really comes through because that's definitely how, um, how it felt to me, even the way that you were speaking about it and the intentionality behind it made it feel, yeah, very intentional. And, and so it makes you go into the experience in a different way, almost, you know, knowing that, um, that it has been curated in that way. And yeah, it makes you almost experience it, you know, from your, or the point of view that you're trying to convey, which is beautiful. And I think that kind of sets it apart from, yeah, like the other kind of like lo-fi chill, et cetera, et cetera, mm. kind of uh, stations, which at times could feel uh, just a little bit like a random mishmash. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate, um, that you're, you know, taking the initiative to create spaces like that. I think it's, I think it's needed. Thank you. Yeah. And so another thing, um, I wanted to talk to you about is how you nurture your creativity and also your curiosity as you know, this podcast is called The Purple Path, and it's essentially an exploration of what it means to live a life in pursuit of radical authenticity. Mm. And um, I have this concept that um, there are like various different paths. Um, actually, I've narrowed them down to eight paths <laughs> that uh, <laughs> create the number eight. So they're like an infinity loop. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, one, of the, one of the paths is the path of creativity and the other one is the path of curiosity. There are other paths too, but I'd love to, um, to kind of pick your brains about um, how you go about cultivating that and how that leads into you being able to yeah, show up authentically as I you know, and I'm sure everyone else that follows you, you know, it's plain to see that that you do. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, for me, honestly, it, it really boils down to, when, when, I guess, when it comes to living authentically, I just don't have the energy to lie. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it just, it just, it just, some people do. I, I just, it's not that I don't have an energy to lie. It's that I find much more mental duress when I am when I am in a situation where I feel like maybe I should lie or or, or I, you know this I could do this, it's much more natural and it's much more simple for me to just live authentically, like the, to be myself and to be honest, even if it hurts, even if it like even if the truth is something that could negatively affect me, I a hundred I won't say hundred ninety nine times out of a hundred I will prefer the truth and enacting in the truth because ultimately that will cause me less headache in the long run then and in the long run to be honest you know i i feel like we're given signs from the universe not not just to you know do whatever we want but or like to how to put it basically we i i i'm of the belief that we kind of came into this world with a, a preset intention and before we entered the physical space like coming out of the womb Right. We were we were fully aware of who we were in the past lives we lived in, things that we've embodied. But 
in order to to fully enact and experience a new thing or various uh, a different perspective we have to come into it clean and in a, well, a relatively clean slate or or unbiased slate so we might know everything prior to us entering the world but then the moment we enter the world we come in as a literal baby with no knowledge and not to say that we don't carry that history or carry remnants of that history but i feel like it's a very intentional thing in order to give us the most accurate and authentic representation of what life could be in that particular perspective right so knowing that for at least for me i i feel like anything that happens in this lifetime it's not necessarily that it's predetermined and it's not necessarily that it's got a guaranteed path it's more like there are guiding lights that are saying you you could probably go this way this might serve the purpose that you set before you came in here you don't have to but you can you know what i mean like this is a very this is a this is a solid option you know what i mean like <laughs> because we all free will but you know if you do want to make this a bit easier for yourself you could go this way and knowing that i just try to follow those lights as often as possible and those lights to me look like you know non non the flow it looks like flow it, it feels like like going in the space you're meant to be not necessarily the the the, le the path of least resistance but the most logical next step for yourself whatever that means for you because something logical to you might be something very illogical to somebody else you know what i mean so whatever your truth is or whatever your sense of truth is if it feels right to go in that direction it probably is right and that i say that with a with a lot of take it with a grain of salt because obviously everybody has very subjective means of what again what is right and what is wrong different sense of morals and ethics but for me i personally feel that in in this space in this time that we're here there are good what we consider good and bad experiences good and bad people good and bad events right but ultimately that that in and of itself good and bad are all subjective to every single particular person so obviously what i find good might be very bad to you you know it, it totally depends but that does not mean that the experience in and of itself is good or bad it just is you know what i mean it's it's another sense of of perspective it's another way of living a life it's not again it's not to say that i i think i should live in a certain way or i shouldn't live in a certain way it means that i understand that things will happen good or bad things will happen and and experiences will happen and maybe that was the thing that was meant to happen at that particular time i'm not sure but you know <laughs> you'd be like okay well you know why, why is Hitler, you know, you're saying like Hitler wasn't good or bad? No, to me, subjectively, bad person, you know, <laughs> or troubled person, you know what I mean? But again, that's to me subjectively. And who knows, Hitler, you know, before he came into life, might have said, you know what, let me experience being the bad guy, you know, and and what that genuinely feels like, because I'm so accustomed to, this is just my theory, but I'm so accustomed to being the quote unquote good guy. And I, and I know what these things feel like, but I haven't experienced this side of life. So let me become that. Let me embody that. Right. And it's not to say that it's, you know, quote unquote noble or anything, because again, that's coming from a subjective space. It just is this, this entity chose to have this experience this lifetime and leave that particular imprint and the knowledge gained from that feeds the overall i guess the collective experience right now we all collectively know oh we might not want to live like hitler <laughs> you know <laughs> but it it took that thing happening for us to know that 
you know, and it's not. So for me, it's I, I look at everything kind of with that lens in in a sense of, yeah, this this is bad or this is good. But ultimately, it just is, you know. So when it comes to me being authentic, authentic I, I genuinely don't think, oh, I should be a good person or I should be a bad person. I, I just I just am. You know what I mean? So I I make myself aware of what my my strengths are, what my faults are, who I am as a person, what I can work on, what I can't work on, not even that I can't work on anything, but what makes me who I am and how I navigate in this world and how I engage with other people, you know, and and just gaining more knowledge about myself so that I have more information to go off of and, and how to navigate is more beneficial and more important to me than anything else. I genuinely just want to know myself <laughs> as much as thoroughly as I can. And I can't do that unless I am authentic. I can't do that unless I ask myself the deepest questions, the hardest things, go into the, the most uncomfortable places. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very comfortable going into the uncomfortable. I'm very comfortable going to the deepest, darkest depths of myself and asking those questions that nobody can really handle, you know, on a, on a regular basis. But, but that's me. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't say everybody has that same uh, bandwidth, you know, and that's fine. But for me, that that is what it, that's what it looks like. And as long as I'm, I'm operating in the space of, is this authentically what I, I wish to experience or what I wish to learn? then I'm okay going in that path. If it's a mistake, then at least I'm I'm learning from that mistake, right? I'm putting myself in a situation to learn from that mistake where it's like, okay, uh, you know, this might be a bad idea. You probably shouldn't, you know, try and date this person or whatever the case may be. But I'm like, you know what? I'm still curious. I know this could be bad. <laughs> All right, this could be good. But I want to know. I'm a very, I'm very much... Uh, like a learn by trial and error kind of person, you know, and, and I'm, I also have enough, I guess I'm geared for that kind of life experience in the, in the sense that I am mentally and physically prepared to go through the trial and error, right? Again, it's not everybody has that and not everybody wants to do that. That's totally fine. But for me, I genuinely absorb and learn the best via immersion, you know, whether that's, by trying and, and trying and failing or trying and succeeding or or being in a place where I have to do something or, you know, have to be in a particular uh, mental space. You know, those are those are things that make me feel like I'm in my authentic space and my, my authentic self. And I'm, quote unquote, thriving, even if it's a struggle. I'm like, but this is a good struggle. This is an important struggle to me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's beautiful because you have to be able to give yourself a certain level of grace in order to allow yourself to go down a path that you don't really know, you know, how it's going to turn out, a, a path of uncertainty. And yeah, I feel like you're definitely someone who <laughs> who kind of has this ability to throw themselves into new territories and just see what happens. And um, and I do think that that's one of the one of the best ways in which we get get to know ourselves mm. and also as we're constantly evolving and um, becoming different people um, the further <laughs> further along we get but I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about one of your more recent adventures or I guess not so recent now I believe you've been in Korea for two years ish mm. yeah um, and just yeah how that came about and what that transition has been like for you yeah, it's it's pretty much exactly the same process. I back in 2019, pre-COVID, like 
like literally, okay, more specifically, from August 2019 to November 2019, I was like, uh, music is kind of doing its thing, but it's it's headed on its way out, or like at least in the 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 same at the same momentum that it was at, like it's it was like declining. I'm like. I just want to take some time to figure myself out. Like, this is cool, but like, I know this is, this is a moment and this is going to fade. So what do I want to do? What do I want to be? What do I want to see? And I'm like, you know, I've never been to Asia ever. Like not once that has been on my bucket list for years. And you know what? I have a moment and I have enough flexibility to, to do that. And even put myself in a little debt to do that. Right. I'm in my early twenties. This is the time again, to make mistakes, to Mm -hmm. do things, to to be, you know, just try and and get weird. So I, at that point I was like, all right, I'm going to just go to Asia for like three months. And I actually started in, uh, LA for a month and then went from there to like Mexico for two weeks. And then after that, went to Asia and I, I went, I covered, what was it? Tokyo. Or I started in Taiwan, went from Taiwan to Tokyo, uh, Tokyo to Seoul, Seoul to Thailand, Thailand to Singapore, and then Singapore back home. And the whole purpose of it for me was again, literally just to see it, just a sampler plate, a whole other perspective, a whole other side of life that I've never been exposed to. Didn't know any of the languages going into it. I knew like a little bit of Japanese, like <laughs> tiny, tiny, bit, <laughs> but just wanted to see I've never been. I never traveled solo internationally to that regard. Like nothing is all new. I'm like, but this is the best time to do it. Later, I have no idea what life is going to be like, but I have the time right now, so I'm going to go. And so I'd also wanted to get like a tattoo in every spot. So I got a tattoo in most of the spots, not every spot, but. I, I was like, let me also, you know, I, I don't want to like go super broke while I'm doing it. <laughs> let me try to do stuff while I'm out there. So, you know, I had contact friends, music friends, or like, hey, do you have any shows you want me to do? And I, I did shows, I did show in Tokyo and then I did show in Seoul. And th- those were only two that I ended up scheduling because like everything else was just like, I don't know anybody in Singapore and Thailand. And spots. <laughs> I'm like, well, well, mm-hmm. it'll just be travel. But in Tokyo and Seoul, I knew some people. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me set those up. Set those up. And as it was coming up, as Soul was coming up, I was like getting ready and prepping materials. And I I'd contacted, so I'd actually, I'd known this DJ slash producer uh, from SoundCloud way back when, like 2016-ish, since 2016-ish, her name was Miko. And Miko, or Sharon, uh, Miko put me, just, just ex- like we just got to know each other. And I was just like, oh, sick. And then we met up later, maybe like a year after that in like New York City. And then I discovered like, oh, she's actually Korean. Like, well, she's Korean American. Nice, cool. And and I, I'd gotten the first time that I, I guess, met all of the SoundCloud homies was in New York in this one particular trip where I'd met Sharon. I'd met my my good friend, Larry, who's, who goes by West One. I'd met like all the the collective guys. I'd met uh, at the time there was this other collective called like As We Arrive, uh, and you know met some other A and Rs that I've been talking to around. I mean, just nowadays, just friends. Um, but you know, just met more Koreans that I didn't I didn't really know were Korean. I was just like, oh, Korean American, cool. But as a result, as I was getting ready to prep for this Korea trip, I'd contacted some of them. I was like, hey, do you guys happen to know or like go over to Korea at all, or like happen to know any connects over there? And Miko connected me with her DJ friend, who's fully Korean, uh, Didi, Didi Han. And, and I reached out to Didi, and I was just like, hey, I'm, I, we had met before, but nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm a friend of Miko's, and 
hope to see you soon. Hope uh, by chance, do you know of any shows happening? And she's like, oh yeah, I got this friend Jan, and Jan is uh, he's like a bar owner. He's an entrepreneur, like like him, like six other guys. I didn't know this at the time, but like you know, he's like super plugged within the community. He's like the go to, like the quintessential successful foreigner. Like <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. Let me let me get that Jan. Hit him up, and I was like, hey, yeah, I'm coming through. This is my name. This is what I do. Blah 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 blah. Like do a show. We locked that in. I was like, cool. So then I didn't, again, didn't really know what to expect. I was just like, uh, I'm just going to do a show. I, I don't know anything about the venue. I don't know anything about the people. I just, I'm just going to go. I don't know if I have any fans. I don't know if one person still show up. <laughs> no clue. But we're going to, we're going to prepare for it. So started doing promotional materials, just like throwing out to flyers, digital campaign stuff. And as I as I was like getting prepared for it, I was just like, oh, this is kind of this kind of crazy. Like I started like practicing and like running like studio spaces. And then finally it got to like the week before, like the day before, and I was like I'm flying out and like I'm getting ready to go. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. So like it happens and I'm I'm in I'm in Seoul now. And I'm like, the first time I get in Seoul, I step foot in the airport. I'm like, well, this, this is cool. Like it's nice, nice, nice. And I I almost get scammed uh from this taxi driver, uh, or not, I don't even know if it was a taxi driver or not, but this guy who was, you know, this this there's this common thing here where, you know, they'll you have a bunch of taxis, like normal, regular taxi drivers, who will kind of queue up outside of the airport just to get ready, you know, for people coming out of the airport from arrivals. And you'll also have this like a seedier variant that kind of parks their taxi somewhere near the airport and then like kind of walks in and peruses around the airport in search of like unknowing foreigners. <laughs> to kind of charge way higher or double for. And so, you know, I was like, oh man, I can't even get into an ATM. I don't know how to call a taxi. And then I see this guy, this taxi. And he's like, hey, where are you going? You, you need to get somewhere? Like, yeah, I got you. I'm like, and he, he, mind you, he didn't speak in like perfect English. Like it was like half Korean, half English. So I was like, okay, this seems like, I guess he's like a Korean tech. Like, it's good. <laughs> you know, we're here. And so like, we're getting ready to leave the airport. And we, you know, we're going under the the tunnel or like the, the Korean airport is, Incheon airport is huge. It's ginormous. So we're going into this space with like one under the terminals. There's like a huge uh, walkway. And all of a sudden, like one of the airport security just kind of rolls up behind, like we're on the, you know, the, es- the not escalators, but like the moving floors that are, that are horizontal. So there's not an escalator, but it's just like a, like a, a moving platform like within a long hallway, that kind of thing. So we're on the moving platform. And so it's me, me and this taxi guy, but then one of the airport security guys comes up, you know, kind of parallel to that platform as we're moving. And he's just holding this VHS like video camcorder. And he and he opens it up and he starts talking in Korean. And he's like, he's basically saying, hey, so how long has it been since you started scamming people? And and, and this the, the taxi guy is like, he just starts like he just he just puts his head down and he starts booking it ahead of me. And I'm just confused. I have all my luggage on me. I don't know what's going on. Homie is dipping. I'm like, but that's my ride. Like I'm like I'm so lost. <laughs> what's gonna happen? And then you know he, after he dips somewhere, then the airport security is like, are you okay? Are you good? I'm like, I'm I'm fine. What what happened to that guy? He's like, well, that that, guy, that dude was a scammer, like 100 percent scammer. He was gonna what was what was he gonna charge? I was like, probably like a, like I told him where I was going. He's like, he said it was like 100 bucks. He's like, that thing is like 40, 50 bucks max. Like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, go here, and then he you know, wrote down the whole address. He's like, go here. Ask him to go here. It should not be any more than this. Like, do this. I was like, thank you so much. And from that point. Like I had this, like, I was like, wow, Koreans are so nice. Like I had like the whole spectrum 
of <laughs> of Korea or like Korean mentality <laughs> in the span of like five minutes. I was like, there's good and evil here. I'm intrigued, <laughs> you know. So after that, I, you know, I was just coming off of Tokyo as well, which is like super pristine, no trash cans anywhere. Like, and and and, and but personally and and personality wise, Japanese are a lot more. Uh, introverted and less keen on confrontation and less keen on expressing their truest selves. And this not this does not just come from me. Like this was a takeaway that I got, but when I'd asked everyone, foreigner and Japanese, that was the common refrain. Be like, oh yeah, they, they, they are they they are wholly like introverted, in, you know, in introspective. Like they do not tell you what's really going on. They think a whole different thing. And I was like, I wondered why that was, but when I got into Korea, and I was able to see such a stark outward expression. I was like, whoa, this, this is wild. I was like, wow. I'm like, especially coming from Japan, I'm like, this is a whole different kind of country. And, you know, I'd had more experiences like that just prepping before the show, just being in, in Seoul because I was I stayed in this hotel in Gangnam. And I was like, I, I don't know how to order food. I don't know what to do. I don't know anything about this place. You know, I was just surviving off of convenience stores, which are phenomenal, but, you know, not the best for the health. So I, I I was just, as I was preparing for the show and as I just kind of went around the city, I it also, in every spot, I tried to book like tours or, you know, random experiences just so I could get a sense of the culture. So like I do like Airbnb tours or like like discount trades or things like that. And as I was doing those things, you know, I'd have somebody guide me around the city or show me around or something like that. And I just get, got a little more sense of what the culture was, you know. So as I was doing that as well in Seoul, I would figure out, okay, I can go here for food or something like that. I still don't know how to order anything. Like I, I was just like, I'm, I'm stuck. But it just felt very invigorating. I was like, this is, this is a cool city, you know. But I, at the time, I was still very smitten on Taiwan actually, because Taiwan for me it was, I was like, this is super chill. I like this, super cheap, super chill. I'm happy. But Korea was like, huh, I really want to see more of this spot. Like this is, this is super interesting. And then the show came, and you know, so I, you know, night of, I'm like, eh, stuff is happening. And then, you know, I finally get ready to go on and the whole place is packed out. It's like 300 people. I'm like, huh? Like, like how? <laughs> like, who are you? And it's just, they just loved, the, basically like the the infrastructure of that particular venue and that like they had a reputation for just bringing good acts through. So like, it was kind of like a baked in venue audience. Like they were just down to pull up regardless. So like instantly got shown a massive amount of love. And there were a bunch of uh, really influential, you know, Korean artists that were already coming in and out of that venue anyways, but they were also performing at the night. So I got in, like in, introduced to a bunch of cool people that I'm still cool with now, you know? And so it just became, it was just this really natural succession of events where it was like, oh, like there are fans here that I didn't know about. Like the, the culture's really cool. Love the food. Like the weather's dope. I mean, except winter, winter is cold. Oh my God. Do not come here without a winter jacket. I boo, please. But it was just overall, I was like, I was really, really impressed. And I'd only been there for like nine days. So I'm like, I need to like learn more about this. And then obviously at the show, I'd met my now wife. So it just all kind of made collective sense to me. I was like, yeah, we should probably, we should probably move over there. So because of my wife and then because of the music and because of the culture and like everything resonating, it, it, I just, I felt so much safer in Seoul than I felt in anywhere, any other country. I was like, okay, yeah, um, I'm thinking I'm going to move to Seoul. <laughs> so it, just became, it was just, a, it was just a, a very assured, clear thing for me. I was like, this makes sense. 
I'm going to go that way. This is going to be hard as hell because I have three months to do so. Like at the time I was getting ready after I came uh, back from Seoul and then, you know, COVID happened, everything got shut down for a year. And then I was like, all right, well, I got like 7K left in my bank account, but somehow I have to make an international move. And I was looking at the costs and then like, I need a visa and then I'm like all this extra stuff. And I'm like, at the end of it, it's going to cost like 30K just to get there. And I need to get there because I had to move out of my current spot. I'm like, I got like, what, three months? Yeet, you know? <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And, you know, I did it. Fortunately, it was a very tiny window of crypto that worked out well for me. But I, it was, it was, it just, things just made sense. I'm like, this looks insane and this is going to be stupid hard, but this makes sense to me. So I'm going to go in this way. I'm going to go this route. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get this done. And it, yeah, that was pretty much it. I love that you just went for it. Um, and I love hearing stories about people that, you know, are going against the grain in terms of creating the music that they want to create and not caring where they're doing that from necessarily. Mm. Because, you know, the music industry would have us believe that we need to be in one of these big cities. I mean, Seoul is a big city, but that uh, for the kind of music um, that we make to be in, you know, LA or New York or London, maybe. Uh, but it, that it's actually possible to create the kind of music that you want to create from anywhere in the world. And even though, you know, I struggle with this concept too of like, I know that maybe they, there would be more opportunities in certain places or whatnot. Yeah. And I have tried living in a lot of those places. But ultimately, I think the thing that makes us most sustainable as creative people is finding what are the places that call to you, that inspire you, that inspire your growth um, where you can continue pursuing your goals in a sustainable manner rather than trying to, you know, force yourself into uh, what somebody else's expect expectations might be of you pursuing that path. Mm -hmm. So I just find it really inspiring to hear, you know, that you, <laughs> you just gone for it. And, <laughs> and that's an incredible story, you know, that showing up to the show and being 300 people there, like, um, it's definitely like a a green light from the universe. That's right. I was really like, beautiful. okay. <laughs> good yeah. Side, good side. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Um, so we're going to be wrapping up soon, but before I let you go, could you please let everyone listening know where to find you and how to connect with you? And if you have anything else coming up soon. Absolutely. So you can find me, uh, pretty much anywhere that you listen to music under Najee, N-A-J-I. So if you ask me, well, what about that? Yeah, I'm on there. Just <laughs> N-A-J-I. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and I released most of my music under that. Um, I have a few other projects, but some of them are under wraps. Some of them are still in progress. Some of them are out, but they're under uh, different aliases. But you can find most of everything that you probably know me for or other people know me for under Najee. Um, and then if you want to reach out, you can always hit me up via email or Instagram or whatever, really. Like I, all my contact information is on there. Um, but also I have my main website, uh, Naji.land, so N-A-J-I dot L-A-N-D. And that is pretty much my central hub for anything music related, services related, reach out related, like direct email, deals, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's also where I sell merch, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you can hit me on my website. You can hit me at hello at Naji.land if you want to hit me, shoot me an email. It's up to you. Uh, I like email. I'm an email guy. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry. Well, yeah, if there's anything else that like is coming up. So mm. <laughs> funny that you mentioned that. But literally, as we speak, I am preparing for this 
new project that I'm building out with a, a, another producer friend of mine called Modish. Uh, and Modish is a collective, a label, a radio show, a magazine. It's very special experiences. But basically the core of it is we want to prioritize people over products when it comes to social music events, right? The, and, and socially, how we it kind of ingest music socially. It goes back again to what I was talking about briefly with like that vinyl concept. Nowadays, if we have a show or if we have some sort of event tied to us as an artist, it's most likely going to be in a club or it's most likely going to be attached to, hey, buy a drink for a ticket or something like to, of that nature, right? And for me, I rarely ever drink, like I, and my wife as well. We barely, rarely, it's a very rare thing. And so, you know, and I'm not really a fan of clubs. <laughs> she isn't either. So, <laughs> Same. you know, so it's like, all right, if those are the only only means of actually seeing like the artists that I want to support, then I'll go. But it would be really nice if I could just pull up to a thing and it, I didn't have to drink or I didn't have to, you know, be surrounded by deafening music all the time. Like I just, we could just talk and chill. That would be kind of cool. Or if it was connected to a, a very different but wholesome event, like that would be nice. Like I don't want to be constantly peddled and sold to. And that coupled with you know the 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 negative experience that a lot of artists yourself included have had whether on the major label side or the indie side of just industry business stuff and all the the ugly that kind of comes with that it's like all right we need to we need to figure some things out so me and rom and a few other people have been really trying to to map out how to create a new musical or music experience, or not necessarily new, but provide new context to existing areas, right? So for example, Korea is a very club and drinking heavy country, right? They've never, they don't even really know what like a skate park is. Like they have them, but they're so few, they're so tiny. Or like, you know, even going to a park and just hanging out in the park, that happens, but not in the context of music. Like there's really no like weekly meetups or things like that. Or, you know, maybe just like, painting and sip. So if you do want to have some wine, cool, but you don't have to get drunk. You could just paint a picture and, you know, converse and actually, you know, come out of this thing sober and remember <laughs> what you did. And experience that they were like a silent disco, you know, things like this that don't really get, you know, utilized in many, many spaces, but in, especially in a place like Korea, where music is essentially either a concert or a club. Like that's, that's like literally it. And it's like, there are so many other ways to enjoy the space. Like, have you ever just had a cookout? Like, do you even know what that is? You know, <laughs> and being able to provide that and being able to provide those meaningful memory making experiences within mu a musical, a musical context. So we're building that out. And tomorrow is a voting campaign because in order to build out all of these things, you know, you need money, right? So we ended up just fine, like literally like three days after we came up with this or fleshed out this concept to like fruition. Then we found out there was this grant called the Some Fun Grant uh, hosted by this producer who's like a pretty popular producer online. Uh, his name's Some Hoodlum. And, you know, he partnered with this tech company and they're hosting a grant. And they're literally, it's just, it's homie is just getting bankrolled by, by this super rich NFT guy, essentially. And originally this guy wanted to just not pay taxes, but he was like, Some Hoodlum was like, hey, wait, we could maybe do a cool thing. And so long story short, they're literally just giving $250,000 away. <laughs> so in order to get that, you know, they, 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 you, you get some votes, you get money and it's literally just a vote based. And it's like, you get first place, here's 50 K. So 
We're prepping the voting campaign for that right now. The video is going to be coming out for that on various socials. And, and there's going to be a whole campaign for that. So that's that's what I'm working on right now. Modish, you know, moments and memories fashionably on time, as is the slogan. <laughs> but yes. That's, yeah, that's incredible. I love that concept. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, it's so funny that, you know, you mentioned that and that we've kind of been um, operating in the same kind of um, sphere of mind, I suppose, because mm. I definitely have been yearning for spaces like that as well and thinking about like, hmm, how can I be part of a collective that is trying to create new spaces in the music industry that can be enjoyed in different ways and how can I bring that to my own shows so yeah that's super inspiring to hear that um that you're gearing up to do that and I'll be sure to put any links to anything that we've mentioned in this episode and also to your socials um in the show notes for people to find and yeah just thank you so much for this beautiful conversation and for taking the time today Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate I, I'm sad that I couldn't ask you more questions, but that will <laughs> be another good. conversation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll have to do it again. <laughs> okay, Najee, take care. Thank you so much. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for walking the purple path with us. As always, you can find links and resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with someone you think might benefit from it or tag me on Instagram at Music and let me know what you thought of it. I love hearing from you, so thank you in advance. If you want to support this podcast so we can keep it completely ad-free, you can head over to patreon.com slash thepurplepath and subscribe on the $3 level for more content and support on your journey. You will have access to Patreon bonuses for every episode of The Purple Path, including guided meditations, giveaways, PDFs, events, personal stories, and further opportunities for connection. Another way you can support is by leaving a review on iTunes or hitting the five-star rating on Spotify. That would also be super helpful to keep growing the podcast so that it can find those who need it the most. I am so grateful to you for sharing this space with me. Thank you and be well. Be well.